I know that it's a, a little bit different because we've got all our kiddos with us in here. So over the next few weeks, we're not going to spend a ton of time like, you know, long, super long-winded, straight from the Greek, all 28 chapters of Acts kind of stuff. Um, but we're going to spend a little bit of time just opening the Word together and, and just kind of unpacking some things that the Lord is leading us through and then kind of getting everybody out on their way and doing it as kind of safely and healthily as possible. I do want to let everybody know that we are considering over the next few weeks whether or not we need to go to two services uh, during this time. Uh, we can only see, as you can tell, a handful of people in here, and if everybody starts coming back, we won't have near enough space. And so we are looking at a 9 and an 11 o'clock option, uh, encouraging our families to come to the earlier service. But we'll be talking more about that as the next weeks unfold. Uh, if everybody leaves, then it doesn't matter. We'll all fit in here just fine. But if people do start returning, then... Have to make some of those decisions. So just keep that in your mind, and we'll be kind of sharing more information. That's why it's important to stay connected with us on Realm so that we can share those announcements and things together. So that's part of our kind of possible future plan, but just in air, or just kind of putting that out there in the air so everybody kind of knows. So a few years ago, I, I re engaged with the books of 2nd and 3rd John. So uh, most of us really probably aren't familiar too much with 2nd and 3rd John. They're sort of the this kind of distant cousins of First John. First John is sort of this great theological masterpiece, and we've studied it and looked at it, and it kind of absorbs a lot of that. Uh, but Second and Third John are really important, and they're really unique. They're very small letters. Uh, Second John's only got 13 verses, and Third John has three, uh, 14, and so they're written for very different purposes. But they're really powerful, neat little letters because they're great kind of glimpses into deeply personal, true, what I think are true, authentic relationships. And there's a great expression in those about how we're called to sort of engage with one another. So a couple of years ago, I was re-engaging with those as I was thinking about just who we were as a church and where we're going. I was dreaming about the future. And, and this week, I've kind of kind of re-found myself or found myself again in the letter of Second John as I began to think about what I wanted to talk through as we gathered again, right? There seemed to be so much. We could talk about tensions here or the struggles here or COVID this or freezes that or whatever. But really what it boiled down to me uh, as I started thinking about where I wanted to be was just this idea that we have this call from Christ to live wholly different to and with each other. And, and it makes a huge difference because Second John is this glimpse into a deeply personal, deeply true relationship um, that has this sort of connection of encouragement and support. And if I've seen anything over this past year, it's the deep need that we have not only as, as a church or as people, but as a country, as humans, to encourage and love and be kind to one another. And the reality is, is that it's hard. Culture is really, really mean, Right? I mean, if you watch TV at all and you watch even the political ads that are going on, if you're on social media at all, you'll realize how quickly culture turns. That if you're going to vote a certain way or support a certain candidate or even stand on a certain kind of moral, ethical issue and someone disagrees with you, you might as well be a disease or a bigot or awful. And the words that we use to describe each other like that are terrible. And it's really hard because right now we're being inundated with political mail reminding who this person is and what they are and how much they hate you and how much they hate you and hate them. And if you vote for them or think about them, then the world will hate you and you can't truly be this. I can't tell you how many times I've heard or read this statement. If you are a true Christian, you cannot vote for. And you insert whatever politician's name you want to insert. Because I've seen it on both sides. I've actually had someone tell me before, and it wasn't this election, that if they found out I voted a certain way, they would never return to church because they could never go to a church where they learned the leader would vote for that person. 
And what's crazy about that to me is that most of you here aren't really hearing what I'm saying. You're wondering who the politician is. That's how messed up this thing is. Instead of being broken, this is how people interact together. We're more curious. Well, let's talk about Bush, Trump, Obama, Biden. What are we talking about? Who was it? Oh, those people would definitely be the ones that did that. That's how broken we are. Our love and care for each other is actually so broken and distorted by culture that it's bleeding into our churches. And it's splitting them and segregating them and it's pushing us to a place where we are, from a biblical standpoint, forgetting who we are called to be. I mean, you, don't th- you think I'm lying? Try writing an email to the church that says we're going to gather again in a building during COVID. Count your responses. They're not nice. Some of them are encouraging and there's some of them that are hurtful. We're not trying to kill everybody, I promise. We're trying to do our best to be authentic and true and safe and real and do it in a way that basically keeps people safe but honors our call and desire to worship the Lord together. That's the deepest thing that we have going. But the true reality is, is that if it goes against something, instead of being like, hey, I want to think, we just jump on each other. And the challenge with this for me is that there's really no escape for it because everywhere we turn, it's there. If you've been on Twitter, you've been on Facebook, right? How many of you have vowed, vowed that you're going to take a break from Facebook and never go back? Every single one of us at some point in time said, I need to get rid of social media. Have you seen the social dilemma? Have you looked at any of these things and seen how they made you feel internally? And it's not because of just what's out there. It's because of how personal and deeply hurtful a lot of things are. And so for most of us as Christians, we live our lives with this sort of picture on the outside because letting someone truly in and being hurt and vulnerable is the worst. Because people take advantage of that or they hurt you or they make a comment or they break you. And doing the cowardly curtain of so, behind the cowardly curtain of social media is the worst place to live. Because it's so easy to not care about people. Because when they're there, it's just a name. But see, from a biblical perspective or standpoint, there are no such things as just a name because behind every name is a heartbeat. And the truth is, Jesus encountered, no matter, the people he encountered, no matter who they were, whatever walk of life they were, whether they were a Pharisee or whether they were a leper, he treated them as though they were deeply loved. And he may disagree with them, may call them out, may challenge their way of thinking. He loved, truly loved people because it was his creation. And 2 John, I think, is a glance into this sort of deeply true relationship of what Christianity should look like. But most of us have created this distance, this space, this thing where we don't truly want to live in that deep engagement with people because of the vulnerability and hurt that is out there. And a great example of this is some imagery with this is kind of how we live in a Western culture, right? In Western culture, we doctor up the outside of our houses. We want the outside of our houses to look great. We paint them, we put up, we do a lot of gardening, we put up flowers, we do all these kind of things. We want our houses or our spaces to look great on the inside, on the out, from the outside. A lot of times the same thing on the inside, but oftentimes the inside's a train wreck. It's a mess. Whether it's a metaphor for our marriage or whether our children are rough or whether we just don't pick things up. The truth is that the outside of our houses are doctored. And we use fences a lot and fences tell people just how far they can come, how close is close enough. It really is a big kind of Western picture because if you've ever been to another country or been to a third world country or spent any time there, there's a really different thing that's unfolding. Years ago, I was walking through these slums in Juarez, Mexico with a pastor. We were inviting folks to a church deal we were doing and we were knocking on doors and, and people would invite us into their homes as we go in. And we we're talking about, in this area of Juarez, the, the, 
I mean, we're talking cardboard little houses and buildings and made out of old stuff they could find in the dump or whatever and just falling apart. But you go inside and everything was completely manicured. They would even sweep or rake the dirt floor. True. They would have everything orderly. They would have stuff. They would sit you down in whatever chair they had. Like everything inside was immaculate, relatively speaking. Now, it's not immaculate coming from your house or your apartment or wherever you are, but from the standpoint of where they were, it was immaculate on the inside. Outside's falling apart. They've got visqueen taped over for windows. Like not spending a whole lot of time on that, but everything on the inside was neatly and in order in its place, and, and they were super glad that you were there. And after a while, the day was going on, I finally asked the pastor, I said, how, I, I'm not real sure, tell him, explain this to me. How come on the outside, everything is falling completely apart, but you go on in, in the inside, and the, the, the young lady there is sweeping the dirt to make it look like it's a floor, and everything is so neatly ordered, and their beds are all made, and everything's really neat. And he stopped, and he looked at me, and he was like super puzzled. Like, what a weird question to ask. And I asked it again, and he said, well, why would you... Worry about the outside, because when you invite someone into your home, that's where your best is. And it doesn't fit perfectly as a metaphor, but it always rang true with me that I try and put my best out here so that you can see it and think it, but very rarely do I want to invite you in here, into this place, where vulnerability and difficulty and truth and authenticity live. Because that's not the easiest place to always show, right? A lot of times in my own life, I feel like I'm sweeping a dirt floor. No matter which way I push it, it just seems to gather and pile. And why would I want to show anybody that when you have these great hardwood floors? And so we live in a lot of that place. But Second John is a really interesting picture of this sort of beauty of true relationship and who we're called to be. And this is going to look in the first few verses um, and then we'll kind of move on. But let's take a moment, quickly pray, just ask God to teach us, and then I'm going to share a few thoughts, and we'll move on. Lord, I do thank you for the opportunity to gather here. I just, I confess, Lord, there was a time during this week where I just didn't want to do it. What a crummy thing to say, and what a crummy thing to think. I was wrapped up in what was happening in my own life, and trees that were down, and frustrations, and emails that we got, and just, just didn't want to do it, just wanted to quit, just be like, I don't care anymore. I confess that, Lord. It just, I hate that about me. But standing here and worshiping this morning changes everything for me. I, I miss and I long this time, this time with people and the church and teaching the word. I love gathering together, and I know that it's hard, and I know that it's a challenge. I know that everybody can't do it, Lord, but I'm so grateful that we live in a place that we can and so, Lord, for the next few moments, just teach our hearts. It doesn't have to be anything over the top or crazy or groundbreaking. Just teach our hearts. Take a moment just right where you sit, right in this place, and just ask the Lord to teach you something new this morning, something fresh. Just whatever he needs to speak to your soul, just ask the Lord to teach you. And take a moment and pray for somebody else. Be in the habit of praying for other people. We used to do this every single week. Just Even if you don't know their name, never seen them before, just say, God, move in this person's life. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe y'all are struggling. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's been a tough season. Just pray for them. Pray that the Lord would teach them.
He would comfort them. He would speak to them. Lord, we, Lord, we turn our morning over to you. We ask that you would teach our hearts and move us and instruct us and encourage us and empower us. But more than anything, just show us and remind us how to love each other. We ask this in Jesus' holy and perfect name. Amen. So the book of 2 John is this sort of peer into the sort of deep, true, what I believe is a real relationship. I'll explain it here in a little bit. But look at the, just the first six verses um, this morning. So this is 2 John, uh, directly following 1 John and right before 3 John, if you're looking at it. So not super helpful. Uh, Brandon loaned me a Bible. I think COVID ate mine. So I'm on page 1076 if you want to follow along. All right, this is just 2 John, the elder. To the chosen lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also who know the truth, because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son will be with us in truth and love. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in truth, just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I am writing to you, a new command, not a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another, and in this love that we walk in obedience to his commands. And you have heard this from the beginning. His command is that you walk in love. Now, there's been a lot of speculation from a theological or scholarly standpoint on exactly who John is writing to here. So a lot of scholars will tell you, well, it's not really to a lady, it's to the church, the bride of Christ. And it's, a, it's kind of a bigger metaphor that the lady is the bride of Christ, the church, and that the children that John talks about are the believers or followers of Christ. certainly makes sense. But it also makes sense that the lady was actually a real person. Most of John's letters are written to real people. A lot of New Testament letters are written to real people, whether it was Timothy or Philemon, or even Third John is written to a guy named Gaius. So like, it makes a lot of sense that John would write this short letter to an actual, specific, real person, this lady that God has chosen because John has on some level encountered her children and he's encouraged in that. So it's not a far-fetched idea to think it could be one or the other or both. Maybe it's a, it's a both. And maybe that's why she remains unnamed, so John can write specifically to her and can be an encouraging moment to the church as well. Either way, I like to think about it like this. I like to think and believe, because it's not out of the realm of possibility, this is a real lady. And she's a, a, a caregiver to these children. And John is writing this short 13-verse, tiny little paragraph letter, and we get this glimpse into this sort of deeply personal yet true and authentic letter. To which he addresses her and starts off with this incredible greeting. And biblical greetings are the best, right? I mean, they're way better than what's up, right? This is how we address our, our emails or whatever. But he addresses himself as the elder, the overseer, right? A word that's used interchangeably there for the leader of the church, most likely is a reference to the church in Ephesus saying, this is who I am. This is my title. I am part of a theological oversight and protection of the church, the bride of Christ. And I'm writing to the chosen lady and her children. The one has God has chosen and called, whom I love in the truth. 
Not only I, but also all those who know the truth, because the truth which lives in us will be with us forever. Grace and peace to you, God the Father. This is all just to open. He spends those first three verses to open the next ten to basically say, this is who I am and I love you. To you, the chosen lady, God has not forgotten you. You are chosen. God has placed his care upon you. Grace and mercy and peace from God the Father. So he opens this letter in this incredible way, right? Which is just awesome. And then he says this. It has given me great joy to find that some of your children are walking in the truth. There's a couple things about this letter that are really powerful to me. The first is... John takes a moment to find great joy in the lives of others or in this lady's life. So somewhere along the way, John has encountered some of her children and he's found them walking in the truth. Meaning it's someone that John's known, he's encountered her kids, and her kids are walking as followers of Christ and it has brought him great joy. Meaning he has found great joy in the life of someone else's success. This lady has raised these kids. They seem to be doing well. They're walking with the Lord, and it brings John great joy. It has brought a couple of questions to my mind, and that's the first one is this. Do I find great joy in the lives and successes of others? And the truth is, all of us at some point in time can easily say, yes, we're really excited when good things happen to people that we love and care about, for the most part. And then after that, it begins to wear us out. Because if Bob gets one more A on his report card and she posts about it on Facebook, I'm going to lose my mind. They got another new car? I mean, really? I've been driving the same one for years. How come they're on vacation again? I can't even hold a job. How come their kids are so perfect? Look at them. Every picture they post, it's like the Shekinah glory of God circles their family, right? And they're all dressed in white, khakis for some reason. We find joy in the lives of others until we hit that place where we just long for more in our own life. And so most of us live in a place where we don't find joy for others when it's outside of our own contentment. Meaning if I'm not pleased or happy or at a place where I'm content in my own life, then it's really hard for me to find joy in yours. Because if I'm living in disappointment, peace, restlessness, or lack of peace or discontentment, I'm going to have a real hard time finding joy in you. We're trying to sell a house. It's not working. Somebody sells theirs in two days. We've been trying for a year and a half to have a baby. Somebody gets pregnant by accident. Like all of these things that we, if we're not content in our lives and situations, then the successes or good things that are happening to other people are really hard to find joy in. So John's facing and has faced a lot of struggle in his life, yet he takes a moment to find great joy in the life of this woman because he saw a few of her kids walking in the Lord. But what is even better than this is that John takes the time to tell her. This is what I find so cool about this, is that John could have come across her kids and been like, man, that brings me great joy. I'm so glad that happened. But he actually takes a moment to tell her. And writing letters is not easy. It's not It's not even easy today. It wasn't easy then. Can you imagine trying to go, hey, has anybody got a scroll or a parchment laying around or whatever or a a feather I can write this thing with? Like you didn't have all these things at your fingertips. Now you can text or email or call in a matter of seconds. And it's still an inconvenience for us. 
But John took the time to find a guy that had some kind of pressed papyrus, right, with a porcupine needle or whatever to dip in blood probably and write it out. And we can't send our mama text to tell her that we love her. That's the indictment on me. She tells me that all the time. But I love the fact that he took a moment and he told her. He was such an encouragement to her. Can you imagine being that mom, feeling like you've raised these kids and it's been hard? Can you imagine being a a woman in those days too, trying to get some kind of respect or just live in a circumstance where you're not recognized for anything and yet John the Elder of the church in Ephesus, the elder, writes this letter and he pins it out and he says, I not only am so joyful for you, but I want you to be encouraged that your kids, the way that you have raised them, that they are walking in the Lord, and I want you to know it. When's the last time that you would honestly say you've been that kind of encouragement to someone else? And I am not talking about saying happy birthday to someone on their Facebook wall. That's the worst Every one of my high school friends has said that to me. Hey, I haven't talked to them in 15, I graduated a little longer than that, 15 years ago, whatever. I don't care. That means nothing to me. But if you were to call or write a letter or text and just say, hey man, I'm thinking about you, or I bumped into someone, so or I saw whatever, and I just want to tell you that I know life is hard, but we're praying for you. There are people in this church that are so good at that. And have encouraged my soul in so many incredible ways at the right moment where I just feel worthless. That God will use them to, whether it's a text or a phone call or whatever, just to say, hey, I just want you to know this is what we're thinking and feeling and want you to know about that. Care about you. Are you that for someone else? Because John took these moments, right, and he became this encouragement to this woman. Just love it. Super convicting, though, because I, I was thinking on Saturday, yesterday, when I was writing a lot of this stuff out, I was just thinking, like, I wanted to make a list of the people that I knew I had served as a real encouragement to since uh, March 1st, when all this kind of broke. And in just being totally transparent, I, could, I, didn't, I didn't have a single name. Not a single name. My mom's told me more than one occasion that I don't love her because I never call her. Right, My brother tells me the same thing. I forgot to tell him we had an ice storm. He finds out from somebody else. I mean, I, I couldn't find a name on that list that I felt like I'd been an encouragement to, and it was sad, man. And I realized how selfish I am and how internally focused I am. But John takes this moment, and he just says, I want to write this to you. It's given me great joy to find that your children are walking in the truth, just as God commanded us. And then he says this, And now, dear lady... Dear lady, right now, dear lady, I am writing you, not writing you a new command, but one we've all had from the beginning. So I'm going to share something with you as an encouragement. Not anything new, not groundbreaking, not to change anything, but one that you've heard from the beginning that I've heard from Jesus. We've got to love one another. And this is what love is, that we walk in obedience to his commands. So he says this, here's my encouragement to you. Your kids are doing amazing. It gives me great joy to see that. So I'm going to tell you something that you already know and just remind you to keep walking in love. Because the world's going to make it hard. It's going to tell you you're doing a terrible job at parenting. It's going to tell you you're doing an awful job at this. It's going to tell you when you look in the mirror that you're a disaster. It's going to lie to you at every corner. And what John says instead is, what I want to tell you is something that's not new. 
But love, keep walking in love. And this is what love is, right? He said, when we obey the commands of Christ. Jesus actually says this. John actually records it in his gospel letter. He writes that I know you love me, you obey my commands. So what does love look like? Does it look like the idea that we should go out and just serve and serve and serve? No, actually love looks like that we obey what Jesus says. So our love is demonstrated by doing the things that Christ calls us to do. John 13, he says, this is the command I give you. After he washes all the disciples' feet, before he's betrayed and crucified, he tells all of the disciples this. He says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. All men will know you're my disciples because of this. So you want to know what it means to love. It means to obey the command of Christ, which is to love one another, which means that if you are degrading another part of God's creation, you are not obeying the command of Christ. When you get online and you dehumanize another person for what they're voting, what they're thinking, or who they are, you can rest assured you are not living and obeying the command of Christ, which is to love one another. Now, does it mean you have to agree with them and support every decision? Of course not. But what it means is that we've been created in the image of God and that every single person has a name and a heartbeat and God loves them the same as he loves you. And you do not have the right to destroy them. Verbally, emotionally, physically, or otherwise. So John says, be encouraged. Keep loving each other. Keep loving them. Even when the world tells you you're doing a terrible job at it. Love them. And he says this. This is kind of what it looks like. He says, love one another, and this is love, that we walk in obedience in his commands. You've heard it from the beginning. And his command is this, that you walk in love. Think about that idea of walk. It's easy to love on occasion. I can love when everything is feeling right and when things are going okay and I can support you and I can make a kind of a bold movement. I can say, okay, today's the day I'm going to write the letter. Today's the day I'm going to make the phone call. Today's the day I'm going to be really nice. I can gear up enough in me to do an act of love on occasion. But walking in love is something wholly different. Walking in love is this movement of who I am. With every step, it's what I demonstrate. It's a breath of my soul. And if the command that John says we have is to obey the call and command of Christ, this is love, to walk in it. It means that every step of every day, every breath of every moment is to exhibit the love of Christ to the world and to the people around you. Your words and your actions matter. The church is called to be the great peacemakers. The church is called to be the great connectors of Christ to the world. That's our role. It is not our job to disintegrate humanity based on whatever moral soapbox we're going to stand on today. Yes, there are times to take a stand and stand for truth, absolutely, but you can do that in a way that loves people. You do not have to destroy people and who they are to prove a point or to win an argument. And that goes as far as our marriages as well. Ever won an argument in a marriage? Nope. It's a loser. You win, you lose. Why? Because, all right, Jonah, why, man? I get it, brother. 
Because at the end of the day, what matters is how we come across and love each other in those moments. So here's my thought. There's a thousand takeaways from this. Do something this week. Anything, I don't care what it is. But find a way to walk in love. Write an email, write a letter, make a phone call, send a text. Go to your neighbors and knock on the door, the one without power, and ask them if you can bring them anything. Change your habits on social media. Change the way that you respond to people. Try and push down the frustration. You know, Try and find great joy in the lives of others and tell somebody about it. If you see something really neat happening, if you bump into somebody that you know and their kids are doing great or you bump into somebody and you just feel like she could go for a word of encouragement or he could, take the time to do it. Do you know how powerful that is if you receive that note from someone that just says, hey, for no reason at all, I just want you to know you are killing it. I may not feel that way, but you're an awesome light and you're an encouragement to me. Those are life changers, man. So find a way this week to live that and to walk in love. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the moments that we have here just to gather and open up your word and just remind ourselves who we're called to be. It's not easy. None of us are perfect. This has been a frustrating season. Some of us uh, are really struggling. And I've talked to a lot of people over the summer, Lord, that this has just been really hard. It's been lonely. been hard on families and a lot of us feel like we're not parenting well kids are struggling in school or we're struggling to figure out how we do this right and our marriage is taking a beating and we just seem to be frustrated i've talked to four or five people over the past two weeks that just they're doing these online kind of social media cleanses because they just feel like it's hurting their heart and it's hard lord this is hard But the incredible thing in all of this, Lord, is that your love is this beautiful example of who we are and who we're called to be. We are, without exception, we are unlovable people. We are sinful and we are broken, and yet you and your infinite, incredible, and beautiful grace did for us what we could never do for ourselves. You rescued us. You loved us and we were unlovable. And then you gave us that great command to go and love people the way that you loved us to obey your commands, to love one another the way that you have loved us. What an incredible task. What an impossible task. Yet what a beautiful call. That this church is called to be the expression of Christ's love to the world, not because we know how to do it, but because it was demonstrated to us. You don't treat us as our sins deserve. You don't belittle. You don't berate. You just love. Even when it's hard and even when we're wrong and even when correction is there, Lord, you just you still love. And I'm not talking about love at all costs. It sort of just says, oh, tolerance and this and you can do whatever you want. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about love, true, genuine love for sinful, broken people. Leads them to a place of repentance and to know Jesus. That's what I long for. So Lord, show us how to do that well. To be an encouragement to other people. Now take a moment to tell them that. To walk in love, which is to obey your commands and to let that be a movement of our everyday life. As we close our time in worship, Lord, I pray that you would convict us where we need to be convicted. That you would challenge us. That you would make us a people that are driven by the way that we want to love the world around us because of how you loved us. 
As we close our time in worship, I encourage you to stand and sing with us. And then as we close out, we'll move outside and hang out and spend some time together on the nice, beautiful uh, first Sunday of November and um, spend our time out there. But Lord, we're grateful for the Sunday to gather here together. Teach us, correct us, encourage us, and empower us. As we close our time in worship, we offer these things to you in Jesus' name.